This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Small Biz America. The Brain. Timothy Hogan is the author of the book Secrets of Wall Street, Raising Capital for Startup and Early Stage Companies, and he's the founding principal of Commonwealth Capital Advisors. Tim is also the creator of the Financial Architect System. This is a unique, robust system designed to help businesses create the framework and documents they need to raise capital. Joining us on the line from his office is in Chicago to share his insights on what it takes to raise capital and the systems he's created to help businesses do just that is Timothy Hogan. He's the founder of Commonwealth Capital Advisors. Tim, welcome to the program. Good morning, David. Great to have you with us. You spent years in the financial and investment banking world, Tim. How did your experience in that space, the many years you spent around this, lead to and inform the creation of Commonwealth and, and Financial Architect? It really started out in 1985. Um, I was uh, started out as a stockbroker for Merrill Lynch in 85, and then after the crash of 87, I moved uh, over to E.F. Hutton because E.F. Hutton would allow me to do some investment banking deals. And as a stockbroker, that was the consumer market side and essentially money management. Um, And the investment banking side, it's the the issuer of securities or um, uh, the capitalization of companies side of the the industry. Yes. So I, I was able to move over to EF Hutton after the crash of 87, who was subsequently bought by Shears and Lehman Brothers. So I had some uh, fairly heavy Wall Street background on both sides of the street, being consumer markets, in other words, what investors like to invest in, and uh, how broker-dealers actually approve securities to go through uh, their sales force. And then uh, on the investment banking side, how to structure deals that uh, benefit both the entrepreneur and the investors, which is uh, critical when you're looking for capital. Tim, as you approached uh, the problem moving towards the creation of uh, your company and financial architect, what's the biggest challenge or, or the, uh, the biggest problem that small business owners or entrepreneurs face as they're uh, looking to raise capital? Well, I think their biggest challenge was our biggest challenge in a bit of a nutshell. Financial Architect, which includes the book The Secrets of Wall Street, Raising Capital for Startup and Early Stage Companies, was built specifically to solve their problems. And their problems, more often than not, are uh, they don't have a working knowledge of how the U.S. capital markets really work. So what I essentially did is taking the, I took the uh, techniques and the uh, strategies used by the larger firms on Wall Street and I just boiled them down into a, uh, um, a relatively simplistic 
explanation <clears throat> on how startup and early stage companies use these techniques to capitalize their companies. So um, our challenge was to simplify mm. an extremely arduous, time-consuming, and expensive process, which took me essentially seven years and approximately seven hundred grand to do. Um, and through, through that process, we had service, and we always had service. We've been in business a little over twelve years, and we've always serviced our clients. And we listened to what they have to say and their challenges, and so on and so forth. So we adopted all of this over time to address all these issues. The primary issue is this. Most folks understand that you produce a business plan, you take it to an institution such as a commercial bank or a venture capital firm, and you submit it for potential funding. With a commercial bank, more often than not, the business plan is nice for them to have. However, for a commercial bank, it's how much equity do you have in your home? Oh, a hundred grand. Well, we'll lend you fifty against that. <laughs> right. So right. yeah, the business plan has. Uh, it's nice, but it has relatively little meaning when it comes to a commercial banking perspective. And and an investment banking perspective, it's what is your track record for running a company? We deal with specifically with startup and early stage companies and we groom them to get ready for that investment banking relationship. And not really for Wall Street right off the bat, but, you know, uh, kind of a, the small boutique investment banks that hang around on most uh, main streets of most, um, not small towns, but I would say mid-sized uh, cities to the larger cities, um, because that's where, where the capital is actually raised. Is um, It can be done two ways either through a, a broker-dealer, as we call them, in which is uh, the same as an investment bank, or it can be done directly to investors. So we show our clients through our service, but also with Financial Architect, uh, how to go about all this. Now, Financial Architect was built specifically to explain the process, and we have an abridged version of The Secrets of Wall Street, which is meant to give everyone enough knowledge to make a qualified decision if, in fact, this process is right for them. Because for many, it is. For many, it's not. And we just wanted to put that out there as kind of a pay-it-forward um, to the entrepreneurial community. So uh, we, do, we do give away an abridged version off of our website uh, with a promo code 1776. And we should mention uh, that website URL is, is what, Tim? If you would share that for our listeners. Yes, it's www.commonwealthcapital.com. So simply if they navigate to, t- to uh, commonwealthcapital.com, they'll be able to locate. This is a downloadable ebook, as I uh, remember it, and uh, that would be the abridged version of The Secrets of Wall Street, Raising Capital for Startup and Early Stage Companies, where they can really get acquainted with, hey, it, we'll make a decision. Is this right for me and my firm or, or not? Correct. And uh, there's a simple promotional code that they would plug in towards the bottom of our main site. And that is uh, the, the numbers 1776 or 1776, uh, the birth of our nation. Would it be useful to take a quick tour of Financial Architect? Could we spend a few minutes on just how does it work and so forth, some of the mechanics? Certainly, certainly. And, and you know, uh, that would be the best place to start is to download the abridged version and read it. However, 
you know, let's chat about this a little bit because it's, uh, I have a certain passion about this. There's two big problems that exist in the United States, and the primary problem is startup early stage companies raising substantial amounts of capital without giving up ownership or voting control. This is very important. Most small companies, if they can raise capital or if they do a securities offering, will um, they'll go to their attorney and say, hey, we want to sell 10% of our company for a million dollars, let's just say. Well, normally they will try to issue common stock. And unless they, you know, 10% of the company for a million dollars, unless they have a, a $9 million in equity on a balance sheet, is pretty uh, difficult for an investor to stomach because it's dilution. You know, if you have a startup company and you try to sell me 10% of your company for a million dollars, if I give you a million dollars and there's really no other assets in that company, I just lost 900 grand yeah. on paper. Yeah. And there's uh, most savvy investors understand that. The problem is that most entrepreneurs will say, well, I will sell 40% of my company for a million dollars or my idea for a million dollars. Well, still, in all, myself as an investor, um, I just lost six hundred grand, not nine hundred grand. If I give you the million dollars, so that's still not palatable. Another big problem is that entrepreneurs will go to their attorney and, and tell the attorney, "This is what I want to do," and the attorney uh, actually does it. Will produce a securities offering document compliant with federal and state securities laws. And problem is, the, the attorney listens to the entrepreneur. Uh, the entrepreneur really doesn't understand what they're doing or, the more often than not, what the market wants. And so they're not, not that they're, they don't know what they're doing, it's that they don't understand what the market will and will not accept. Now, once they understand what the market will accept and they, they position themselves to produce a security that the market wants, um, unless they're willing to do that, they're probably not going to raise capital. So you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, I tried to do a private placement and it just didn't work. Yeah. Well, more often than not, they're trying to sell too much of their company for too little too early, and uh, nobody wants it because of the dilution factor associated with a startup or early stage company. If you're just joining us, we're visiting with Tim Hogan. He's the author of The Secrets of Wall Street, Raising Capital for Startup and Early Stage Companies, and the principle of Commonwealth Capital, the website www.commonwealthcapital.com. Tim, one thing that struck me as I reviewed uh, the materials and the abridged version of the book was the, uh, as you describe it, I think I have this right, the interest rate environment in debt facilities. If you, if you could elaborate on that, I found that pretty striking, and I think maybe some of our listeners would like to hear that and benefit from it. Absolutely. This is, a, this is a, a great time to actually raise capital if you know what the market wants. And it would just take a look at the baby boom demographics, pretty simple math. Um, these folks are moving into the retirement ages, and what they want is they want income from their investments. So um, if you're willing to produce a security that gives them income, the probability of getting uh, a portion of their money, uh, primarily their risk capital, becomes high. Um, now, there's two forms primarily of yield-type securities, and one would be a bond, Flash or a note. Uh, notes are up to five years, and bonds are five years and greater. Um, <clears throat> and so, one could issue notes or bonds, 
uh, in their company, and let's say the interest rates they set at seven, eight, nine percent, somewhere in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's attractive to most folks that have uh, CDs and other types of fixed income uh, uh, securities. Uh, the interest rates are extremely low right now. And so let's say that somebody has a million dollars coming due in a CD and they can roll it over for, let's just say, five years at 3% interest. Well, if you're offering a bond or a note uh, five years at 9 or 10 or 11 or 12% interest, that's certainly far more attractive. Now, more often than not, these, these young companies are, are, uh, have risks, so these notes or these bonds would have to have something backing them up. What does that really mean? Well, it's got to be more than an idea. Otherwise, the note or the bond is simply a note or a bond with nothing backing it up. And so the interest rates would have to be extremely high, you know, 16, 17, 18%, which is essentially junk. And so the investors know that, and that would primarily back them away from the deal. Um, so we have common stock on one side that has no yield and really does and has all the dilution, and we have bonds or notes on the other side, which if there's nothing underlying these uh, the companies with some assets such as you know it could be inventory if you're if you're a company that does um, I don't know uh, let's say cell phone chargers and you have wire in your inventory and plugs and things of this nature, big bins of actual product well that has some some asset uh, tangibility to it. So, uh, you know, now we're starting to move along. Or if you're a real estate company, you have real estate or oil and gas. I mean, there's tons and tons of assets. But a lot of the companies that we deal with are, um, I would say, a third of them are real estate, a third of them are probably oil and gas, and a third of them everything else. And the other thing else is some product, and a lot of it is high-tech and just ideas and a lot of intangibility. So the point of the matter is, too, if I'm an investor and you're offering me a bond, or a note, let's say five years, cover me 9%, I've got to have something to grab onto uh, if you fail. And it's got to be um, something that's marketable, something, some kind of a commodity or and or hard assets such as real estate or oil and gas leases and so on and so forth, something I can get rid of. Um, now, also, I'm taking risk here. And what, you're only going to give me 9%? Now, you can add equity kickers to that, so I get some upside if the company is successful, which is part of the financial architect program, explains all this. When you add equity kickers or conversion options to the bond, so but if, if I'm going to give you a million dollars and I get first lien position on a five-year note, you give me 9% interest, and you let me convert into 10% of your company, well, there's no dilution. You know, if I just gave you a million dollars for 10% of your company before, I would lose 900 grand. That's yeah. pollution. Yeah. But if I'm going to loan you a million dollars for five years and you allow me to convert into uh, uh, 10% of your company, well, that's my option. If your company's worth $10 million or more someday within that five-year period, well, certainly I may convert because my conversion parity uh, starts a $10 million valuation of your company. Not to get too complicated in this area, but um, that is, that is, that's attractive to me as an investor. Now, let's say that you, I, loan you, I, I buy a note from your company, uh, essentially loaning you a million dollars for five years. Let's say you're going to give me 9% interest. That makes me happy. But let's say you're going to just give me 10% of your company. That would be an equity kicker. Well, I don't have to convert. You're just going to give me 10% of your company? Oh, I, I certainly have, uh, uh, I have some interest, a heightened sense of interest. 
because you're sweetening the deal. So yeah, um, absolutely. But as an entrepreneur, how do you make a decision on where you should stop with all this sweetening of the deal? Well, that is fully explained in the financial architect system. The financial architect system is as simple as it can get. However, it it's real. It takes some time. There's some learning curve. But our clients that buy this stuff come back to us initially and say, where have you guys been? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And we have testimonials all over our site. It's not only from universities here in Chicago uh, that have um, you know, primarily vetted this uh, in their own genre. And they've given a simple testimonial. More importantly, we have entrepreneurs who actually have bought this, have used it, have raised capital in quite record time. So we're excited about that because that that really is our business model now. We're shifting away from service work into um, servicing folks and getting them to market at an extremely low price. Normally in service, the, the, the price of admission is $50,000. To produce a securities offering document and to know how to go through the entire process and even to lock into a broker-dealer either on the first round or the second or the third round so that that process starts to uh, evolve into the way it is on Wall Street. But you, they don't do startup early stage companies. So we, we're, we're, the financial architect is kind of the bridge between that and actually getting into a relationship with uh, professionals that can get this job done for you. And I love that. And listeners should also know that there are really two versions, if you will, of the financial architect system. As I understand it, you have operating companies, a model for that, and also for uh, real estate holding companies such as REITs. Uh, If you would, just give us a sense of the differential there. Yeah. The operating companies are essentially companies that, you know, operate. They have have revenues, they have cost of goods, and they have uh, general overhead. And it could be anywhere from, you know, a, a hair salon all the way to a manufacturer of uh, aircraft uh, and everything in between. Yeah. Now, well, there's, a, there's a bevy of specialty operations, such as the real estate investment trust or real estate funds. And uh, <clears throat> there's also oil and gas, film production, and venture capital funds in a little bevy of specialized uh, companies. But let's take real estate, for, for instance. Uh, we have a lot of clients that are... Um, real estate brokerage firms that are property management companies that are developers and uh, are all the above. And what they would like is a pool of capital that they can go into and use uh, discretionary authority on the application of those of that cash. Absolutely. Let's just say, you know, 50 to $100 million. Of course, $100 million, that's not a lot of real estate anymore. Um, but let's just talk about a $100 million fund. So we have this little management company that probably does some real estate brokerage and some property management, maybe a little side development. That little management company is now going to manage a great big fund, which is essentially like a big bucket full of cash and or titles. So inside this fund, there's cash or titles of assets. And uh, they will be able to use, they can use discretionary authority of what happens inside that fund. They certainly just can't take the money, do what they want with it. So inside that fund, they, they, they basically have their own pool of capital to buy and sell. And, of course, with that kind of pool of capital, they have a lot of buying power and negotiation power. Um, they get to share in not only the capital gains, but they, oh, let me back up. They get a, a management fee that normally runs 1% to 2% of that entire asset. 
So let's call it 2% of a $100 million fund. The little management company gets $2 million a year just as their common overhead. Sure. Then they also share in uh, capital gains. And normally, depending on the difficulty of the fund, anywhere from 10 15 or 20% of the capital gains of the asset in those funds. They also can share between 10 15 and 20% of the income, the rents of those funds. Um, they can also, as long as it's disclosed, use their brokerage firm to catch commissions. And let's say that the, you know, the commission, the average commission is 6% uh, for a real estate brokerage. Well, they can offer, the management company can offer the fund an exclusive 3% for all transactions within that. So now the little management company that also has a real estate brokerage arm in there has a captive client that they control called the fund. Uh, the fund benefits because they get discounted uh, transaction fees to a real estate brokerage firm. So everybody, and the whole thing about this is, is it's got to be win-win for everybody. Otherwise, you're sure. just asking for problems down the road. Financial architect was driven on, let's make this all a win-win. Win-win for the entrepreneur that you do not give up too much common equity too soon for too little and you never lose voting control. That's important for the entrepreneur. How about the investor? The investor gets first or forward lean position on assets. Uh, the investor gets some kind of a, uh, a cash flow, some kind of profitability, some kind of uh, uh, an exit strategy, so on and so forth. And, and kind of morphing back to that operating company, one of the things that we use a lot of inside Financial Architect and our service work are participating convertible preferred stock. Okay. Preferred stock, the way we set it up, that is callable like within five years, it is temporary equity. It holds a first or forward lean position on assets because let's say some entrepreneurs are out there and they got a half a million dollars of their own money in the deal and they've, you know, they've mortgaged their homes and so on and so forth. So they've essentially lent their company 500 grand. Well, let's say they raise a million dollars or up to five million or whatever the case may be um, in a preferred stock offering. Well, to make the preferred stock offering first lien position on assets, they have to wipe out that debt. And more often than not, their spouses really like that because the house comes off of, uh, you know, a lien position <laughs> inside a company. Sure. So that that varies well for, for most entrepreneurs and their spouses. Mm. So the whole idea is, hey, raise the dough, wipe out your personal debt that you've already funded the company up to this far, and then continue on down the road. Uh, let's say it's a million dollars. We'll continue to raise maybe a million a year for the next five years. Whatever the capitalization needs are, Financial Architect will help you discover what that is in a very powerful Excel spreadsheet. Uh, what used to take... Uh, literally days take seconds anymore because of, of the way we built this thing. Because, and we use it ourselves, quite frankly. I mean, this part of it was um, a little altruistic in our part, yeah. you know, trying to help entrepreneurs, but you got to realize that we can put together a securities offering document in record time ourselves. So it helps our overhead as well. Great. Um, oh, no, but the, the big thing is with a convertible participating preferred stock, the entrepreneur maintains the voting control, the, the vast majority of the common equity ownership interest, uh, they have some element of control of getting rid of that stuff because they can put uh, uh, the stuff, meaning preferred stock, they can put call dates on Say it's callable in five years. 
they can call it back or buy it back at a predetermined price. So if one issues $5 million, let's say, in preferred stock, they can call it back at $5 million plus a, uh, normally a premium of about 10%. So $5.5 million, they get to call it back. And, and at that point in time, maybe debt is the best way to go at the bank because you've got a track record. You replace that preferred, um, which will become expensive. You know, if you're get, kicking out a 9% dividend on the preferred, and let's say it's convertible into 20% of the company, yeah. but you also let them participate in the interim of 20% of the, of the earnings, wow, the, the investor says, wait a minute, I get first lien position, I get a 9% stated dividend, you let me participate in the profits until conversion date, let's say five years down the road, a call date, both, you know, both of them go hand in hand, and I get the conversion option, so in year five, if you guys are really starting to stormtroop and skyrocket as a company, I get all this, wow. What else would I want? And that's our position. We don't know. This is like a perfect security. It gives you everything you've ever dreamed of as an investor. We were mitigating risk to the highest degree possible with the issuance of that preferred stock. While the entrepreneur gets what they want, they get that vast majority of common equity ownership and they never, ever lose voting control. Well, Tim, your, your understanding of both sides of the markets is extraordinary. I want you on my team. Tim Hogan, CommonwealthCapital.com is the website. He's the author of The Secrets of Wall Street, Raising Capital for Startup and Early Stage Companies. That's the downloadable ebook to get you familiar with Financial Architect, which is their patented process for helping small businesses, entrepreneurs, startups, and growth stage companies uh, raise the capital they need. Tim Hogan, thanks so much for joining us on the program. Thank you very much, David. My pleasure. Small Biz America. The Brain. Online at smallbizamerica.com. Small Biz. Small Biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.